Amen. So, uh, my message today is on exhorting one another. Exhort one another. In Hebrews, I want to take my text out of Hebrews 3, verse 13. It says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any be hardened, any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So exhort one another daily. The writer here says, a daily exhortation, daily um, speaking to each other, encouraging each other, and blessing each other. So a lot of us here, we might even wonder, what, what does it mean to exhort? What, what, does, the word, with the word, what, what does the word mean? Uh, it's not a word we commonly use. I mean, uh, not in today's English. But the, the, the definition for exhorting is to strongly encourage or to urge someone to do something. It means to incite by argument or advice or to make a strong appeal. To make a strong appeal, to strongly encourage and to urge someone. So it means to strongly encourage and to urge one another daily in the things of God. That's what the writer here is saying. And why do we need to do this? Why is it, why is it important that we, uh, that we encourage one another, that we urge one another to go on? Um, it's almost like, I don't know, you could say a cheerleader. Why do we need, why do we need that? Why is that important? Why did he say that here? <clears throat> well, someone once said, um, I can go two weeks on a good compliment. It's pretty interesting. So words and encouragement and, ex and uh, exhortations, words, it, it means a lot. It means a lot in our lives, whether we... Uh, whether we believe it or not, whether we admit it or not, we need to be encouraged. We need to be exhorted. We need each other. I want to take another verse out of a few verses out of Titus 2, verse 15. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So here Paul is writing to Titus and he says, These things exhort. Speak and rebuke with all authority. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed one and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous for good works. So that's, that's the heart that we should be exhorting and encouraging and, uh, and just encouraging each other towards to, uh, to live soberly, righteously, and God in this present world. In serving God, in spiritual things, in seeking the kingdom, in pursuing Him. So
So why today? Why daily? Why does he say um, daily, every day? Why? He put, it seems like there's a high level of importance and urgency put on this, uh, on this statement. You know, someone could argue that we should be able to flourish in our Christian walk no matter what our circumstances, no matter what the people around us say or do, no matter if we never get encouraged, no matter if anyone ever um, nudges us in the right direction, <clears throat> whether we get exhorted or not. You could argue that there is, we should still flourish, we should still go on. And it may be true. You know, with the promises that we have in Scripture, the promise that we have of Christ being in us and working through us, his promises that He will never leave us or forsake us. That He is always there for us. That He's even interceding for us in heaven. Those are wonderful promises. How can we fail? You could, argue, you could make that argument. But we all sometimes lose sight of that. And I can say that's, that's inevitable we will all occasionally lose sight of that. There's a lot going on in our lives. <clears throat> and most likely some of us here have a, have a hard time even grasping what that means, that, that Christ is, is in us and working through us and, and always there. And, and He'll never leave us or forsake us. And He's always with us. But we all lose sight of those promises. The hard times come. There's hard pulls. If we look at the life of Paul, look at the life of Paul. And I want to take a few verses out of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, and it doesn't say that he's at a really low point in his life here. But, but if you listen, you can feel it. Um, you can sense it come through the words. As, as, he's, uh, as he's here writing to Timothy, to one of his disciples, one of, uh, one of his close friends, close brothers. So 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, starting at verse 9. And listen to the tone and, and to what he's saying. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas had forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable unto me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus, the cloak that I left at Troas with, with, with Carpus. When thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our works. At my first answer, no man stood me, stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be led to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, 
that by me the preaching might be fully known, that all the Gentiles might hear, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Prisca and Aquila, the household of Anesiphorus, Erastus abode with Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeted thee with prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. So here, and, and, I, and I feel like Paul had these times where he was just down. You know, where he was stood on trial and he said all his friends had left him. And he's calling to, uh, he's writing to Timothy, and he wants him to come to, to just, I, I think, I believe, encourage him to be there with him, to have the fellowship, and, and to connect. You know, twice he says to Timothy, come to me, do, that, do your best to come. <clears throat> so he wanted friends, he wanted his brothers to be there with him. So we all have these times when we need our brothers and sisters in our lives. We need each other to encourage us in hard times, to watch our back and keep us going on track when, uh, when we lose the momentum or we go through a hard pull. It's important that we have each other. And uh, even if we look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, He wanted His friends to stay up and watch with Him. And why? What was he struggling for? I mean, isn't he the son of the Almighty God? And yet, as a man, a perfect man here on earth, he went through this tremendous struggle, this tremendously hard time, where he struggled, he battled, he wept, he even sweat blood. In fact, I believe the larger part of the battle of the cross was, was fought right there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he did it alone. And in a sense, we can see it bothered him. That no one was there. No one was there for him. Could you not stay up with, <clears throat> could you not stay up for one hour and watch with me? And you can hear the disappointment in, this, in those words. As he comes back and he, he sees them sleeping, not once or twice, but three times, he asks them to, to watch, to watch with him, just to be with him, to, not to say anything, just pray. <clears throat> so as humans, as people, we need each other. We need each other. We need to be encouraged. We need to be supported and lifted up. We need to be exhorted. We need to be exhorted. And that's why the scriptures say, exhort one another, pray for one another. <clears throat> when two walk together. Um, and there's then the story. I also want to take the story of Pilgrim's Progress. Walking together. Um, 
And I'm sure we all know the story of Pilgrim's Progress. He's, and he's walking alone for the first part of the journey. He, he's, uh, he's alone and he's much more vulnerable. And it's, it's easier for him to go astray. And a couple of times he does. He loses track of the journey. He goes, uh, he goes off on, on different trails. <clears throat> but then later in the journey, he meets up with his companion, first faithful and then hopeful. And, and it helps him. It helps him a lot. He's, they're fellowshipping. They're sharing. They're walking through life together. And, and they can share. And they still make mistakes. And they still get lost in the way. And they lose the narrow way. In fact, they make a, a huge mistake. But they have each other to advise and to ask and to consult um, on, on what's the right direction. Um, and the one, that one part of the story, right before they come to, to, to giant despair, when they first come to that crossing, that sty that takes them across, into the field. So they come up to this point where there's a there the, the the trail they're on, the path, the narrow way becomes tremendously hard. It's rocky, it has big rocks and it's hard to walk over. And right there next to them, conveniently, there's a, a sty, which is a step where you can step where you can step up and step over and uh, and step over the fence. And on the other side of the fence there's a, a nice meadow, just a smooth grass meadow that seems to be going right along the path. And Christian, he picks up and says, um, look at this. We can just go over the fence, walk on this side, and then after a while we go, we'll go back on the path and we can avoid all this terrible part of the road where, this, where, it's, hardly for them, where it's hard for them to even walk. And uh, there's a short dialogue there where they're talking about it, about what they, what they should do. If, and, and Hopeful actually says to him there that they probably shouldn't. It's probably a bad idea. But anyway, they end up doing it anyway. But the point I want to make, they have each other there. And they're able to consult and to talk about it. And if they would have truthfully, really honestly listened to each other and talked about it, um, they could have probably avoided it. <clears throat> but anyway, in the story, they end up going off the path and they meet, get caught by a giant despair and get taken to, his, uh, to Doubting Castle, which is a really, a really hard test for them. <clears throat> so there, there's a tremendous power in having our brothers and sisters, in having each other to help us to listen to each other to speak into each other's lives. I mean, why did why did God establish why did Jesus establish the church? Why are we living together in community? What's the reason Jesus calls his disciples to unity, to be together, to be unified, to be of one heart and one mind, to gather together like we're doing here now? to live together, to walk together. And yes, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of Christians, who, who are able to walk their faith out alone. 
It is possible. It's not that it's impossible. Um, who who go through a life of faith with without deep fellowship and without close church. But I think I think uh, it's short of what God's plan is. I don't believe we'll ever come to the full place, the full plan of what God has for our lives while we're alone, while we don't have the rest of the body to speak into our lives, to work together, to help us grow, to grow us and to nurture us and to keep us from losing, from going off track. Jesus established his church to build a body, to build and grow the members of the body. Everyone on their own, every person has flat spots. Everyone has, uh, has blind spots. None of, us, none of us have it together. Most of us will admit that we don't. We don't have it all together. None of us have all the answers. Some people might think they have all the answers, but nobody really has all the answers. It's not possible. In fact, we can't even see we can't even see our failures and shortcomings without our brothers and sisters in our lives. We can't even recognize our shortcomings, see, find out where we lack without our brothers and sisters in our lives. We need each other just to get a proper view of who we are and what we really lack. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So the question is, how do we exhort one another? How, how did Jesus do it? How did the disciples do it after Jesus? And if we look at the teachings of Christ, Jesus, it always looks, he always looked at the heart of people. What is our focus in life? What are we when we when we look at people when we interact with people what are we looking for what are we focusing towards And I I bring this message as as almost a a personal burden for myself We we live together in our church in our community here <clears throat> and it seems like um there's the tendency to have the exhortation happen in certain at certain times, to speak of, of uh, like to have when, when we're at church, we get this exhortation, and here we talk about these spiritual things. And yes, we do talk a lot about spiritual things, but I think we're called to do more. We're called to have that as central in our lives. God's kingdom, His work, that should be the center of our conversations, of our life, and of our walk. That's what we claim to be. So I, I bring this as a challenge to myself and to, and to all of us here. Okay, so when we focus on, when we see people, when we interact with people, our focus in life, when we think about our lives and what we're pursuing, what we're doing, um, what is our focus? Is it our work? 
our accomplishments, our goals. What are our goals? What are we, what are we pursuing? One thing I'm learning is that what matters in this life, and I mean, we've, we've heard that many, many times. What matters in this life is people and relationships. It's so easy to lose sight of that. I mean, we all, we all work, we all make a living. And that becomes, that becomes a big part of our life. A big chunk of our, our energy and our effort goes into that. But the end goal, the, the goal and the purpose of our lives is to build people, to build relationships with people, to encourage and to exhort one another. <clears throat> those, are the thing, those are the things that are eternal. If we look at the life of Jesus, we know that, we know that Jesus was a carpenter. <clears throat> Was Jesus a good carpenter? Do you think? Of course he was. I have no doubt that Jesus was a good carpenter. I have no doubt that the things he did, the things he built, whatever he built, he built well. He did a good job on it. He did his best. So, of course he was a good carpenter, but... What did Jesus leave behind for us to see that? For us to remember him by? You know, is, is there a house that he built somewhere where we can look and say, Jesus built this house? Where we can look at his, his workmanship, his, craft, his craftsmanship, that he, that he uh, how he was able to do, where we can see how gifted he was in carpentry. Maybe a furniture set that he made where we can mark, marvel at his workmanship <clears throat> in carpentry. There is none. There is none. Jesus displayed his workmanship in his disciples, in his kingdom work. That's, that's what he gave us to look at, to see. That was his life's work. And he was a carpenter while he had to. He had to pay the bills. <clears throat> he had to probably support his mother, his family, and help his father in the years that he was with him. But Jesus' workmanship is displayed in his students. That was his great work. That was his real work. His students, his followers... Jesus never went about building a great monument or a beautiful masterpiece to make a name for himself. He made people. He made disciples. As a wise master builder, his purpose was to make disciples, to build a church, a masterpiece. His church, that's a masterpiece that we and him, we will marvel at throughout eternity. It's an eternal investment eternal, with, with eternal consequences. Eternal investments. 
And there are so many things we do that things we spend our time on, we invest our energy in. There's so many things we focus on that, that will not matter in eternity. Things, a lot of those things, they won't even reach our memory in eternity. We won't even remember them. And I want to think a minute about, uh, just for example, the, the art industry today. I want to think a minute about <clears throat> rare paintings that are increasing in value more and more as time progresses, as time goes on. You know, one of the most famous paintings, and a painting, you know, we, we all might have our opinions on paintings, especially famous paintings. But the most famous painting ever sold, as far as we know, was, was uh, the Nafea Fai Poipo, or it's called Will You Marry Me by Paul Gauguin. And it sold for 300 million U.S. dollars. 300 million U.S. dollars. <clears throat> it's totally mind-boggling that a painting would be sold, would be worth that kind of money. And if you, if you walk past that painting in a store or in a thrift store, you wouldn't give it a second glance. Unless you really knew a lot about paintings, then you might. But for us, most of us here today, we probably wouldn't. And there, there also, there's many paintings that are, that are really, they're considered priceless. They couldn't, they couldn't put a monetary value on them. Um, like the Mona Lisa... I mean, if that went on auction today, it would probably be close to a billion, close to a billion dollars. <clears throat> Experts would estimate it would bring about maybe 700,000 and upwards. So <clears throat> what, and, and you have to wonder why. They are, they are of course, they, they would be impressive paintings, I'm sure. But what gives them their value? Well, they're masterpieces. There's only one of them in the world. The artist who drew them was very famous, usually became famous, usually after their death. Um, or maybe it's just that high, very um, rich people have had it and wanted it for many, many years, and slowly the price is, is uh, ratcheting up. But for many artists, that's, that's kind of what they hope for, to maybe one day uh, paint a painting that has only a fraction of that value. You know, they're, they're aspiring to paint a painting that would maybe sell for 10000 or 5000 or 20000 If they could paint a painting like that, that would be, to most artists, a tremendous accomplishment they would feel quite accomplished. And it would be quite an achievement. But if we think about it, what are the most valuable paintings worth in eternity? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. All the architectural wonders in the world that are built by, built by mankind in the world, what are they going to be worth in eternity? 
What are they going to mean? Nothing. And yet the smallest gesture of kindness and love to our neighbor, to our brothers and sisters, can have, can impact that soul for eternity. The smallest gesture of kindness can impact the soul for eternity. A word of encouragement, a kind gesture, a small gift that would cost you very little. An act of love, even a compliment, can have eternal ramifications. <clears throat> Most of the time, things, these things, these little things that we can do, they just breeze through our mind, but sometimes for reasons you can't really figure out, sometimes you'll never forget the small gesture someone did for you. It's strange how that works. So how much more of an eternal impact can we have on people if we're, if we're intentional about it? If that becomes our focus, our goal. If we, if we as the Bible commands, we start pursuing that to be a blessing, to, to exhort, to encourage, and to lift each other up. It's an eternal work. It has eternal consequences. If we can lift up a brother, if we can encourage someone to go on, to go deeper, it's a beautiful thing. It's a privilege. Second Peter verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. And this is Peter. And here he's, he's describing, I think he's describing his life. He says, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Though ye know them, and be established. Though ye know them, even though you already know them, he says, I will never neglect to, put, to, put, to, to bring them to remembrance. The things of Christ. The, the, the things of our faith. And be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet. I think it's important. As long as necessary. As long as I am in this tabernacle. To stir you up. By putting you in remembrance. He said, I, it's, it's necessary. It's important for me. This is the important thing for you. For me to stir you up. By putting you in remembrance. By keeping in our memory. The things of Christ. Of serving him. Of giving our lives. Him. Peter's heart was always to put people in remembrance of these things, always remind them and encourage them to continue in the faith. All the apostles in the epistles, they wrote the epistles, they're basically the way I understand exhortations, all the epistles are basically exhortations. If we want to know what it is, that's what it is. It's an encouragement. It's letters written to people. Pursue these things. Go after these things. Remember these things. Remember, remember Christ. Remember the cross. Remember what he did for us. What a great sacrifice. What promises we have. 
What great plans God has for us. Those are all exhortations, all of the epistles we could put into that category. To, to Just encouragements to go deeper, to seek Him. To provoke one another unto love and to good works. <clears throat> In Hebrews 10.24, there's another verse. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. To provoke one another unto love and unto good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Strongly appealing to one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The Amplified Bible says this verse, it says, uh, Let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds. I like that, to consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another. Yeah, a lot of times we think these things, they should come spontaneously. They should come automatically. And sometimes they do, which is beautiful. And they should. They should. But the older I get, the more I realize the most important things in life don't happen without effort and determination and perseverance. Everything you can look at that has, where you can see something that's valuable or impressive, uh, you can know that somebody has put a lot of effort into it. And the same is for every Christian who you can see is growing and he's, he's uh, becoming stronger and he's growing deeper in his personal life. You can see and you can know that this, this person has put in effort. He has pursued this because it doesn't happen automatically. There's a lot of forces work, walking against us, working against us. It's, it's, it's very much the same with spiritual things. It's, it's especially like that with spiritual things. There are forces working against everything that is good in the world. First, we start up in a fallen world. We start out in a fallen world. And then the devil and the demonic forces are working against all that is good. Day and night, they're constantly working against all that is good. And one thing we know, one thing we can know for sure, is that even if we are not engaged in this battle, the enemy is. Even if we don't, if we are just passive, if we're just whatever. The enemy is working against us consistently. All the time. It's a war against all that is good and right. So our verse, once again, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. We can all be deceived without sin, without even no, with sin, without even noticing. 
You know, we, we're... The man, she's like, oh dear. We get used to everything. Almost everything. We slowly get used to our, around, our surroundings. You know, it's, it's one thing, it, it always amazes me with the weather. <clears throat> you know, like right now uh, in fall, uh, we're all used to, to, hot, to hot summer weather. Where we, we didn't need a, weather, a sweater for three months. We just walk outside and it's even hot. Um, well, now in fall here, it's starting to get cold. And it amazes me that when it's 50 degrees out, we're all looking for sweaters and jackets to put on. It feels cold because we're used to the warm. We're used to the warm weather. But then in, in early spring, like end of, end of winter, when it comes up to 30, 32, 35 degrees, um, you feel like going to lunch without a sweater. And it's 40 degrees out. And you just go to lunch, you, you, you go out of the house, you, no sweater, just a shirt, and, and you're good. You're comfortable. And it's strange. Right now, if it was 30 degrees out, you'd be looking for your Columbia or your snorkel. <laughs> but it, it's the same way in our spiritual lives. You know, um, if, we don't, if we don't hold up our lives to Scripture and compare them to Scripture, if we're not there and involved in each other's lives, we grow cold and stagnant. It's just we get used to our surroundings. And the pressure of our surroundings is always contrary to what's good. Almost always. Unless, unless we live in an environment where people are exhorting each other and lifting each other up and praying for each other. In that environment we can get pushed the other way. And it's a beautiful picture that this can also work for us, not only, not only is there backwards pressure, but we as a church, as a community, we can create positive pressure for each other. We can exhort and encourage each other, and this, it, it, it builds, it grows. It's not just this thing that we should also do. It has powerful effects that we can even witness today. We don't have to look at, wait for eternity to see the results of this. So it's a beautiful thing. We have a tremendous influence on each other's lives. There's a verse that says, um, those who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Those who compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. It's not, it's not wise to compare yourself to others. We know that. And yet we all do it. We all do it. Whether you like it or you admit it or not, that's how it is. An old wise man who's walked the journey that the road for many years will do it less. But we all have that tendency 
to, uh, to, to naturally compare ourselves with others. We do it subconsciously. We especially do it with people we look up to. <clears throat> we often justify our actions, the things we do in daily life, by what our neighbors are doing, by what our brothers, brothers are doing, even though we know it's something that's not good. We won't go do something that's, that's overtly wrong, but things that are just not good, that are not just, we could do much better. We'll easily um, compare ourselves and, and get used to those things. And that's how the progression starts. We're all influencing each other. <clears throat> We're all influencing one another. Our brains are always taking in information. We're always collecting information from our surroundings. And it's, it's subconscious. Um, we're becoming, we slowly become like the people we associate with. Like the people we surround ourselves with. We rub off on each other. <clears throat> it's, um, it's, it's just the way things happen. I think it's kind of, that's part of the reason why communities... Um, so the Hutterai colonists, they, they take on the same flavor. So when someone is from Fordham, you kind of know they're from Fordham. When someone is from Elmendorf, you know they're from Elmendorf. When someone is from Elmspring, you know they're from Elmspring. Because you kind of subconsciously even, it, it just happens... Because those are the people you interact with. You become like them. It's the same way an accent works. When you're around people who have a certain accent, you start picking it up. You don't even notice it, but you start speaking like them. If you live in Australia, you start talking like the Australians. Um, and you, you won't even notice. But it starts rubbing off because we, our brains, that's the way we work. We want our brain naturally, we naturally want to assimilate. We naturally want to connect more and build relationships with people around us. <clears throat> so we can, with that, that can be a positive or a negative in our lives. And my hope today is that we start seeing, looking at that in the positive. I mean, there's always, and a lot of what I've shared here is in the negative, where the, the pressure, the pressure of evil is always working against us and dragging us down. And if we don't, if we don't pursue against it, yes, it will, it will drag us down. But we have the power to overcome. We have the promises. We have to the promises and the strength in Christ to over to grow against it. <clears throat> but in a group of believers, the opposite should happen. We should be spurring each other on. The growth one brother or sister has, the experience, um, it's meant to rub off, to, to, to connect with others and encourage and bless others so that they are inspired to go deeper. In our spiritual life, our, spirit, our faith should rub off on each other. And it does. It does. 
whether we like it or not. <clears throat> so that's my hope in what I'm sharing today, that that we grow in exhorting and encouraging and blessing each other. And keep in mind that those are internal, those are eternal investments. Those are blessings that we give to each other, that eternity, those things will be, will still be beautiful. They'll be glorious. <clears throat> so, and, and some of the, the greatest encouragements and exhortations are just testimonies, nothing, nothing glorious, just testimonies of how someone is working, how, how God is working in a person's life, what the Lord has shown him, what is speaking to them in Scripture. <clears throat> just hearing how God spoke is, is working in someone's life. That, that's, that's a beautiful thing. It, it builds, it's, it's building each other up and encouraging each other to pursue the same, to grow in the same area. So, <clears throat> amen. So, may this exhortation towards exhortation encourage you. Um, I just, I want to, I close with that. And, and just exhorting, exhorting you all to exhort one another. It's a beautiful thing, and it's, it's powerful. It's, it's, I think it's one of God's, one of the plans of God, His divine plans. It's one of the most beautiful aspects we see in the reason behind the church. In the, the church that God established. <clears throat> when Jesus established His church, why, why, the, why, the, why is there a desire? Why is there a, um, always that... Um, that desire for believers to come together. Because of this, because of this element, this is at least one part of it. If we encourage and bless one another, we'll grow, we'll grow more, we'll grow faster, we'll grow deeper. And we can experience and, and understand and see and find things that we will never be able to do on our own. So may God bless you.